Father, we come to you with a great desire to draw close to you. A great desire, Father, to hear your voice. Your word tells us that if we seek you and we search for you with all our heart, we will find you. Your word tells us that you hold our very breath in our hands and that in you we live, move, and have our being. And Father, while it's a wonderful thing to like palpably feel your presence, we can trust that you're always with us, that we're never alone. Your word tells us that we don't have to fear because you're with us. We don't have to be dismayed because you are our God. You promise to help us and to uphold us with your righteous right hand. And Father, I pray in this time, as we listen to your word and we know that it's going to teach us some things that are difficult, that you would give us ears to hear. That if any of our hearts are hard, that you would soften them. In Jesus' name, amen. In Romans 13, 8 through 10, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. As we looked at the Beatitudes last week, we spent some time focusing on how God's economy works differently from the world's economy. And that's why we are blessed when we suffer. But a proclamation of grief is said over us when we pursue the things the world says are valuable. Today, we're going to look at the proverbial golden rule and see more of how God's economy is different, especially when we talk about love. So we're going to read our passage, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, and then we'll move forward. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom, your hope, from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father 
also is merciful. Now, in Greek, there are four words for love, each with a different meaning. And, and you're all aware of this. I think we've hit this at some time before. But we have one word for love. It's love. Right? And I love my wife. I love Jesus. And I love pickleball. And I love cake. And we're not going to talk about the order. No, of course, Jesus is first and my wife is second. And pickleball is third. Um, but the way I love pickleball is not the way I love my wife. The way I love you all is different than the way I love pickleball. Let me explain. You already have these in your notes, or you should, and they're probably up behind me. Yep. So we have phileo. Not a phileo fish. I got a groan. I got a groan. I'm so proud of that. I do love the filet fish sandwich, though, and it's like the worst food on earth. It's fake fish on fake bread with fake cheese, and you're not supposed to put cheese on fish anyway. Oh, it's so good. I want one for lunch. But phileo, it means brotherly love and a love for those who are not biological family. Typically, the love that you and I would have for one another, except for those I'm related to in the room, would be a phileo sort of love. Then you have storge. And that's a familial love. That's love between biological family members, specifically between parents and children. Then you have eros. It's where we get our word erotic. And it's a physical or sexual attraction or a passionate love. And then you have the word agape. And that's unconditional love. Love that is given even and especially when it is not earned or deserved. I'm going to say that again. Agape is love that is given even when and especially when it is not earned or deserved. That is the love God has for you and I. Romans 5.8 But God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I was thinking about this. You know, that I would really like to say that I have agape for other people, right? At the very least, my wife, or at the very least, my children. No matter what my children do, I'm going to love them. No matter what my wife does, I'm going to love them. Love her. Love them. <laughs> Oops. Her. Her. Only one. There's only one. I promise. There's, if there's ever more than one, I won't be here. Um, the elders have permission to help her bury me somewhere. Um, only one. But I would like to think that that's the kind of love I have for my wife. But if she does something to make me angry, which she's never done, shouldn't lie in church. Shh, don't tell her I said that. But if, if she ever did anything to make me angry, well, in that moment, while I still love her, that doesn't feel unconditional, does it? And the reason I don't think I can really apply that word to any of my relationships is because I've done some really stupid things toward God. And you know, he's never been mad at me for it. Oh, he doesn't like it. And there's consequences for it. And he's a, as a loving father, he will correct me. But he's not mad at me. 
we get this picture in our head of a God who's angry. Oh, you know, he's waiting up there with the, with the thunderbolt. And as soon as we mess up, we're going to get zapped. And that's, that's just not the picture we get in Scripture, Old or New Testament for that matter. And so I certainly would storge my wife, and there's another one in there that applies for sure. Um, but I don't know that I could really claim agape. But that's how God loves us. Did I read Romans 5 8? But God demonstrates his love towards I already read that. We're going to read it again. God shows his love for us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to do anything right. Now imagine if when I had proposed to my wife, she said no. Do you think I would have still loved her the same way? Even if she said, oh, I guess if she had said no, I wouldn't have asked again. I'm just not that way. Um, but in this passage, though, and this is where, oh, this is where it gets real tough. Are you ready? In this passage, Jesus is telling us to love our enemies. And the word for love, now remember, this is not a suggestion. This is a command to love our enemies. And that word for love is agapeo. And it's a different version of the word agape. What it means is, to love them even when they haven't earned it or deserved it in a social or moral sense. That's what that variation of the word means. We as followers of Christ have a social and moral obligation to love others without condition. Especially those who have not earned it and don't deserve it. I.e., our enemies. Now, is that what the world teaches us? One of my favorite movies is The Count of Monte Cristo. Who's ever read or seen it? It's a great movie. It's got Jim Caviezel in it. Um, Jim Caviezel played, uh, he played the part of Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. It's got Guy Pierce, who played, um, uh, he played the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. Just in case you were, wow, I'm getting a lot of, my daughter's the only one who remembers. Uh, oh, Adam's got my, Adam's got my back back there. It's got a young Henry Cavill who grew up to play Superman. Anyways, it's like the greatest revenge story there is. And that's what the world teaches us, isn't it? Somebody does us wrong, then we go ruin their lives, and at the end of the movie, we kill them with a sword. Last night, my daughter had never seen it. I introduced her to one of the greatest westerns ever made. Tombstone. Right? The story of Wyatt Earp. And what's the deal with Wyatt Earp? Vengeance. Killed his brother. Shot his other brother. Shot at his wife, who he left for some floozy anyway. That's a different part of the story. But the point is, killed dozens of people out of revenge great movie <laughs> right because they can do things in the movies that we can't do or we shouldn't do and that's the exact opposite but you see that plays to us doesn't it that's why we like tombstone that's why we like uh, uh the count of monte cristo that's why we like a good revenge story anybody seen john wick don't watch that movie it's terrible but in john wick they kill his dog and if you go look it up on google what's the body count in the first john wick is like 70 some people they kill his dog. He kills like 78 people. 
And at the end of the movie, you're like, that's right. That's what you get for killing the dog. Right? You feel no sympathy. for the, They killed this little puppy, a little beagle puppy's cute little floppy ears. They killed him. Kill the dog. But that appeals to us because there's part of us that's like, yeah, vengeance, death, get them. Because that's what the world has taught us. That's not what Jesus teaches us. What does Jesus teach us? He teaches us to love people who hate us. To love people who mistreat us. To love people who are hostile towards us. And to do so without condition. Right? So we don't love them after they apologize. We don't love them after they repent. We don't love them after they come to Christ and they make things right. That's not when we love them. When do we love them? When they hate us. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, and I think that's an important part of the statement, because he says it to those who will hear it. Because I guarantee, right, we're not a real big group this morning, but there's somebody in here who doesn't want to hear this. In case you're wondering, it's me. Uh, but just in case there's anybody else on the list, there's going to be somebody else who's going to listen to this or somebody who's joining us online who's going to go, I'm going to stop. I'm just going to turn. I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear how wonderful I am. Wow, you came to the wrong church. But he says to those who you will hear. So I'm going to give you just a moment, and I'm actually going to pray again. I don't usually do that. I'm getting all weird today. And we're going to ask God to help us hear this. So Father, I do just come before you once again. Because your son said this to those who would hear it, Lord, and I know we need to hear it. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. That's bad enough, right? Do good to those who hate you. What? Bless those who curse you. Huh? Pray for those who spitefully use you. No. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. What do we want to do? Someone hits us, we want to hit back. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Just imagine someone broke into your house and stole your TV and you're like, hey, you forgot the Blu-ray player. Right? Not really the attitude we'd have. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, don't ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. So Jesus begins this section with the command to love, agapeo, and to love our enemies. This is a great Greek word. It's ekthros. Yeah, sounds like Klingon a little bit. Ekthros, E-C-H-D-H-R-O-S. And it means those who hate us and or are hostile towards us. All right, so this is not just people that we maybe think are out to get us. Right? They're not some kind of paranoia or, or I don't like them, so they must not like me. No, this is somebody who actively hates us, who is actively hostile toward us. And then he proceeds to give us instructions on how we do that. Last week we noted that we are blessed 
We're told to rejoice when others hate us, exclude us, revile us, and speak evil of our name. Jesus is telling us not just to consider ourselves blessed, not just to rejoice in such suffering, but to actually love unconditionally those who would perpetuate this suffering upon us. Who's excited? Of all the things Jesus has told us, of all the things that we are commanded in Scripture, this has got to be one of the hardest. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe, and now I know, I say it all the time, you guys are much better than me. This is really hard for me. I, in my mind, am a very vengeful person. Right? Anybody who's played pickleball with me, I'm trying to get better. I really am. I don't ever hit anybody on purpose. But if you hit my partner, I'm not going to be so careful with my aim. But I would never hit anybody on purpose. That's wrong. Because that's, oh, it's just, it's the first thing that clicks in you, isn't it? Somebody does you wrong, and the first thing, oh, I'm going to get them, I'm going to show them. You remember when you were kids, um, I remember when I was a kid, oh, it'd be easier to illustrate it this way. You remember the Christmas story, little Ralphie, and, and his parents, and the, and the Red Rider, um, I, I can't remember the full description, but the Red Rider BB gun, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. I don't want a football, right? It's a great movie. In that movie, the kid swears in front of his dad. Mom takes him home, washes out his mouth with soap. And that night, he comforts himself while he's crying in bed that the soap would cause soap blindness and how his parents would be so upset that they dished out this punishment and, and, and that would be his revenge. Anybody ever had those thoughts when they got punished? Oh, you'll be sorry when I'm dead. That, my grandma used to say that to me. You'll miss me when I'm dead. And I used to say, yes, I will. But that, that, was, that was her way of trying to make us feel guilty. But that's the first place our mind goes, is I want revenge. Jesus says, no. So he gives us instructions. And every one of these instructions is positive. I want you to notice that. Because there are places in the Bible that tell us not to seek revenge. Romans 12, 19, but that's in the negative. And what that means when I say it's in the negative, it's not that it's a bad thing, but it means that we don't do something. Right? Our first inclination is to seek revenge, and God says, don't do that. I'll take care of it. Okay. But each of these is a, and I used three Ps, I love this, is a proactive, purposeful, and positive expression of love toward those who hate us. Proactive, purposeful, and positive. It's not just, fine, I won't try to get revenge on the person who treated me poorly. No, it's I'm going to go out of my way to love them. How do we do that? Well, the first way is we do good to those who hate us. And the word good here, it falls so short in English. Because the word in Greek means to do something that is beautiful, valuable, or virtuous to those who hate you. Ooh, that's a fun one, right? Have you ever met somebody who hated you and the first thought that popped into your head, I just want to do something beautiful for you. I just want to do something that will add value to your life. Oh, I can't wait just to bless your socks off. 
Proverbs 26, 21, and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. No, good. I'm glad he's hungry. Right? That's. You guys don't have to be that honest. I'll be that honest. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Nope, I hope his tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth and his lips get really chapped. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now, I love people. I really do. But there's a lot of people in the world who have no idea what the Bible actually says and they misinterpret this verse so poorly. And what they say about this verse is, oh, if you give him bread and you give him water to drink, you're heaping coals, you're getting revenge, and then God will reward you for that revenge. No. Heaping coals on somebody's head was a blessing. Because back then, right, they didn't have the little lighters, the little clicker lighters that never work anyway. Uh, They didn't have matches. So if your fire went out and you needed to cook dinner, what would you do? Well, hopefully you'd go over to your neighbor's house and they would have an active fire. They would give you some of their coals. You would take them home and restart your fire. What if your fire went out in the middle of winter and your family was cold and shivering? You went over to your neighbor and they gave you coals so you could relight your fire. And it would help you. That's what it means. And that's why the Lord would reward you because you're doing something good for somebody else. Something beautiful valuable or virtuous bless those who curse you this phrase means to speak well of and to those who speak evil of you so you know somebody is speaking evil of you and you run into them and you actually speak with kindness towards them Here's a fun one, right? I actually had a chance to practice this this week, and I failed. I didn't speak evil back. I just didn't say anything. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. But the command is to speak well of and to those who speak evil of you. Well, but is that really what's taught throughout Scripture? Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good... For necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And there are no qualifications there. It has nothing to do with who you're speaking to. Pray for those who spitefully use you. In praying for those who insult, slander, and falsely accuse us, that's what the word spiteful there means. To spitefully use means this person has insulted you, This person has slandered you, or this person has falsely accused you. And what are we supposed to do for them? We are supposed to earnestly pray for them with worship and request. Earnestly pray for them. We don't worship them, we worship God, and we make positive requests for them. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. It doesn't say for everybody you love. It doesn't say for everybody you know. It doesn't say for everybody who's nice to you. Just all people. Is it getting hard for anybody yet? You all know what's been going on in my life, at least some, to some degree. And with our family. 
I've had a real fun week working on this. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Here we are commanded to let others take advantage of us and wrong us. And this is hard for us to do. I'm not saying, nor do I think Jesus is saying, that we should allow people, say, to harm our family. Nor do I think he is saying that we cannot set good boundaries or even exit relationships, right? You don't get to get a divorce just because you don't like them, but, um, but in order to avoid being mistreated repeatedly. Proverbs 22.3 actually says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple passed on and are punished. But what I do think our Lord is teaching us is that we should rather accept harm done to us than to do such harm to others. Now, when you make a blanket statement, it can easily be misconstrued. If somebody breaks into my house and threatens to harm my family, that's not revenge. That's not revenge. That's me defending my family. And they'd better be a better shot than I am. That's all there is to it. And, and if somebody came after any of you, and you probably don't know this, but it's happened a couple times in the last few years. I was not kind to them. And nor would I be if it happened again. I wasn't ungodly. I didn't cuss them out. I didn't threaten them. But I warned them that they will not mess with my church. And I know it's God's church, but just so you know, it's my church. And it should be yours too. But there's been a couple people who have tried that. They're not here anymore. Yay! I mean, oh, we pray for them because God still loves them. I've been doing this for a long time. And this is so off topic, but it doesn't matter. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a pastor for 18 years. And I've had people leave the church before that broke my heart. I've had other people leave the church before and I popped the cork on the bottle and was like, woohoo, they're gone! None of you. I'm glad you're all here. Don't go anywhere. I'm just being honest, right? Because some people come in and all they want to do, and honestly, they are not part of the body. They are here to cause division. They are here to cause destruction. They are here to tear people down, and that's not what we need. And so I'll talk to them. And if they don't change, I'll talk to them again. And if they don't change, I tell them where the door's at. I've only had to do it a couple times, but still. In the end, what the Lord is teaching us is that we should accept harm done to us rather than do it ourselves. Like I said, there are caveats to that. If somebody's trying to kill your family, you can defend yourself. If somebody is destroying you emotionally, you have a right to set boundaries there, right? You have that right. It doesn't mean you seek revenge. That's different. In 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8, Paul writes, Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. That's the point that he's making. 
And I'm not saying you can't take care of yourself or your family. I'm not saying you shouldn't set good boundaries. There are times for all of that. But revenge, if somebody does evil to me, now I want to do evil back. And Paul says, no. Jesus says, no. Now Paul pulls it, puts it in a different context in, in, in Christians suing one another. But he says, just, why don't you want to do the wrong, just accept the wrong. It's okay. Jesus says, no, actively love them. And we get to something most of us have known even long before we were Christians or had ever read the Bible. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Now, the world has corrupted this like so many other things. And often, sorry, this standard of godly conduct is treated in the negative. And what I mean by that, again, is it's not that it's bad, it's just that it's treated in the negative. Don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you, right? I wouldn't want you to kill me, so as a favor, I'm not going to try to kill you. But that's not what Jesus is telling us, right? Jesus teaches us the positive and proactive version. If you want someone to speak truth to you, then you get the ball rolling and speak truth to them. If you want other people to be loving towards you, then you love them. doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. As followers of Christ, we are to lead by example. And if we lead by example and they don't follow, right? You love them and they continue to hate you. That's reality. I wish it wasn't, but it is. You still honor God with your life. Or I still honor God with my life. We are to love others unconditionally the way God loves us. It's not about what others do or don't do. It is about our obedience to the command of God. Now, the fun thing about obedience to God's commandments. Are you ready for this one? And I'm, I'm telling you this because I think I need to hear it. Doesn't mean you have to feel like it. Doesn't mean you have to feel like it. Right? God commands us to forgive. That doesn't mean all the warm, gooey, gushy feelings of love come into our heart. No, we forgive because we're commanded to forgive. God commands us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us and speak evil of us, and so on and so forth. Does that mean that I have to feel like it before I do it? It means that I'm obedient to the command of God by the power of his Holy Spirit. And you know what's going to happen as you do that? The feelings will come later. The hatred will give way to genuine love. It just takes time sometimes. Now verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? Sinners do that. If you lend to somebody because you want the money back, who cares? Sinners do that too. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind 
to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So, I like how Jesus, at least the way I see it, he answers objections before they can even be brought up. If we do these things, right, we love, we do good, and we lend only for those whom we hope to get something back from, what good is that? It is no credit to us whatsoever if we simply do what all the other sinners do, if we do what the world does. But we are to lead the way with kingdom thinking by loving and doing good to our enemies. And we, when we do our reward, which will be great, and which will not likely or at least not completely come to us in this lifetime, will be the following. And that's another thing that we in the Western world have a trouble with. Well, Lord, I was nice to the person who was mean to me. Where's my reward? You didn't strike them with leprosy like I asked. Right? That wouldn't be your reward anyway. But we want it now. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Probably not going to get it now. Oh, you'll get some of it. Because what you'll get is peace. You'll get joy knowing that you're walking with the Lord the way he's called you to. You'll honor him in the eyes of others. That's good. But the reward that he has planned for us, you're not going to get all of it here. But that reward, when it comes, will be great. And the way the Lord will repay us, right, will be abundant, plenteous, and far past what we can imagine. When we use the word great, that's not what we mean. Right? Oh, that coffee was great. Oh, that movie was great. Oh, great shot. If I tell somebody that the coffee was great, I don't look at them and go, oh, that coffee was abundant, plenteous, and far past what we can imagine. That's not how we use the word great. But that's how it's used here. The reward is not our salvation. That is a gift of God by grace through faith alone, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. However, our living a life of good works that reflects Jesus in us is a result of our salvation and will lead to eternal rewards. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 reminds us, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Quoted from Isaiah 64, 4. Now the reason I love that verse is because I have an overactive imagination. You've heard my tales of chicken fried steak trees and, and milkshake waterfalls and all of the various things that I could imagine heaven might be like. And what God says is not even close. What you can think of the greatest thing you can think of and it won't even come close to the greatness of what's actually coming. Oh, that's a promise. Not my promise. His promise. And then you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. We have spoken on several occasions that God has chosen and predestined us to be conformed into the image of Jesus, his son, Romans 8, 28. We know from 1 John chapter 3 that we are blessed because we have been called the children of God, which is amazing. And as we are changed into the image of our Savior by the work of God's word and spirit in our lives, then we will reflect what he does. We will reflect him. 
What does he do? He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Now, on one hand, I'm terribly grateful for that statement. Because um, I am unthankful and filled with evil. I'm a sinner. If you didn't know, you are too. And how many times does God do something wonderful in our lives and we don't say thank you? How many times have we sinned, even when we know we weren't, I mean, obviously we know we're not supposed to, and then we come back, oh Lord, I'm sorry, I did it again. And you know, if I was God, I would have given up on me a long time ago. I'm so grateful I'm not God. Because he won't give up on me. And he won't give up on you either. I don't care how many times you mess up. He will give you the way home. He wants us to do that for other people. Yeah. The closing command. Are you ready? Therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. The word merciful here means to offer or exercise compassion and pity on others, even those who are our enemies. Why do we do this? Because this is what he would do. This is what he has done for each of us. We're to be merciful to others because he is merciful to us. We're to show compassion and pity to others because he shows compassion and pity to us. We're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We read verse 29 earlier. Verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now how has he forgiven us? Unconditionally. We repent of our sin and we're forgiven. We do it again the next day, he'll forgive us again. We do it again for weeks or months, he'll smack you around and tell you to stop being dumb, but he will forgive you. Oh. And then we go, well, I'll forgive them, but I'm not going to forget. Well, I'll forgive them, but I'm never talking to them. And like I said, sometimes you got to exit relationships. There's people in my life I don't talk to anymore. It's not because I haven't forgiven them. It's because they are spiritually and emotionally detrimental to my well-being. I don't hate them. I don't want bad things to happen to them anymore. But it's okay to set those boundaries. I remember when I first got saved, I had a really good friend of mine. Um, he was the only person at our wedding 
his name was, well, it still is, it was. His name still is Jason. We had the same name, so we called him by his last name um, because it was too confusing. And um, yeah, we were that bad. We were dumb. Two of us. We can't do that, right? We got we to gotta figure that out. Um, but after I got saved, I remember we were, we were driving around one day and he looked at me and he said, hey, let's go to the strip club for lunch. Yeah, that's just stupid no matter who you are. Um, but I'm like, no, I, I don't want to do that. Why not? I told you, I've, I've come to a new relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't want that in my life anymore. And this was after we were married. And he goes, oh, but it'll be fun. I'm like, no. I don't want to dishonor God. I don't want to dishonor my wife. It was the last time we hung up. Okay. Made me sad. But it was the last time we hung up. He was the only person in our wedding, and when he got married, he didn't even tell me. It was a long time ago. I'm not mad at him anymore. Anymore. At the time, I think I punched a hole in something. It was a long time ago. But that's what God would do for us. And so that's what we are to offer others. So I came across this thing as we close. How many of you have heard of the million dollar highway? Well, fine. I guess I was the only one who hadn't heard of it yet. You know, it's not that far from here. Uh, it's, it's down, it's between Montrose and, and Ure. It's only about two and a half hours. I kind of want to go dig it up and see if it's true. But in case you don't know, what the Million Dollar Highway is, um, it's called the Million Dollar Highway because it was, uh, the foundation for it was laid uh, by, with waste material from the ore in the gold mines that was used as a bed for that highway. And not all the gold dust and nuggets were removed by the mining processes available at the time. So as a result, there is a partial roadbed of gold that's probably worth a lot more than a million dollars in today's market. It's worth a lot more than they spent even to build it. But it isn't the cost that gave it its name, but rather what's inside of it. Now, the same is true for the royal law of love, which is what we've been talking about all day today. The same is true for the royal law of love. Sure, it's costly. Loving your enemies will be a sacrifice for you and for me. God will enable you to do that. Because you're not going to do it on your own. That I promise. But loving your enemies means you have to let go. You have to sacrifice your hate. You have to sacrifice. Notice I'm saying a lot of yous because I, I don't want to hear it. Um, you're going to have to sacrifice your desire for revenge. You're going to have to sacrifice the anger and the bitterness. You're going to have to let that go. So yes, it's costly. But that's not what makes it love. What makes it love is what it's made of, and it's made of God. The God who is love. Because if we're going to love others the way he loves us, that's a work that he's going to have to do in us and through us. So I will honestly say, I love and struggle with the command we looked at today. 
I love it because I can, can completely agree with it and the fact that this is exactly how God treats me, though I am so undeserving. On the other hand, I struggle with it because it means I have to give up my selfish pride, my ego, my me-first attitude, my desire for revenge. I have to let go of all of that and truly live a life of sacrificial obedience toward my God and others, including my enemies. Now, there's a saying that I came across when I was training for the Spartan races that I did a few years ago. And the saying is this, everyone wants to be a beast until it's time to do what beasts do. That's a really nice way of saying, Eric, or that's a really rotten way of saying, actually, Eric Thomas uh, had a different quote. And he says, everyone wants to be successful until it's time to do what successful people do. Now, this is not meant as a brag because I gave it up a while ago now. Uh, but when I was training for the Spartan race, I knew that if I was going to get across the finish line, that it was going to take work. I was working out an hour and a half a day, five days a week. I was in the best shape of my life. I'm still in shape. It's just it's a little more round. Round is a shape. And when I got on the course, I was tired, I was worn out, but I finished. Three races in two weeks, two of them in one weekend. Why? I was ready. But there was a lot of people who dropped out of those races, and I watched them. Sitting under trees, getting carted off by the medical carts, because they weren't ready. They didn't, they wanted to be the beast, but they didn't want to do what the beast has to do. And I think for the most part, every believer wants to be like Jesus. Every one of us wants to grow and be more Christ-like. I know that I want to be conformed into the image of my Savior. But that means that we have to do what he would do. You can't be the beast unless you're willing to do what a beast would do. And you're not going to be like Christ if you're not willing to do what he would do. And today, that means loving and praying for our enemies, being merciful to others, and even accepting wrong from others. Jesus demonstrated this for us on the cross. If anybody had the right to be vengeful, because he is the only innocent victim. And what did he do? He prayed for his father to forgive the ignorance of his executioners. That's what it means to be like Christ. And if we as followers of and apprentices to Jesus want to become more like him, we need the power of God's word and spirit at work in us. And we have to then, by that power, do what he would do. Years ago, everybody wore the little bracelets, the WWJD. You remember those? What would Jesus do? And it's a cute little saying, and everybody loves it until it's time to do it. That's what will make us different as a church and as followers of Christ. When Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, he didn't just mean feed the poor. Why? Because, well, non-believers will, will feed the poor. 
He didn't mean be kind to the orphan because there's non-believers who are kind to the orphan. He didn't say we shouldn't do those things. We absolutely should, 100%. But how are we going to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world? How are people going to look at us and go, wow, there's something different there? Love our enemies. That's how. So, is there anyone listening who has not yet received the wonderful love, mercy, and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave, and he promised that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's where it begins for all of us. We can't be like him until we know him. But if there's anybody listening online or hears this recording, get in touch with us. Send us an email. Leave us a comment. I would love to help you know Jesus more or help you know him for the first time. Now, for the rest of us, if it isn't happening now or hasn't happened recently, it will happen soon that God will give you the opportunity to love your enemy and live out what we've been taught here today. Exciting, huh? My question for all of us is will we do it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that when I was your enemy, you sent your son. When I was wallowing in the darkness of my sin, you sent light to pull me out. When, as your follower, I have made enormous mistakes, you've brought me home over and over again. And you call me and my brothers and sisters here today to do that for the world around us. To love our enemies. To do good to those who hate us. To speak well of those who speak evil of us. It's hard, Father. We can't do it alone. So I pray that you would help us. And I pray as we go about our week the rest of our day, that you would be honored and glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.